trainer. This podcast provides our listeners with an opportunity to learn more about the Mount, our alumni, and how we live significantly. We're very excited for what is coming up next. We live significantly and can't wait to offer you an inside look into the Mount. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce President Tim Trainer. Hello, and welcome to the Mount St. Mary's University podcast, Live Significantly with President Tim Trainer. I'm very pleased to serve as the president of Mount St. Mary's University, and on this episode, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Rick Kidwell, class of 1976. Rick, this summer, Coach Fallon passed away, unfortunately, and the Mount lost one of its most beloved coaches, mentors, and friends. Can you please tell us about it, your time as a basketball player in the, at the Mount and the impact that Coach Fallon had on you over the years? Sure, and, and thank you, Tim, for inviting me to participate in this great program. Uh, being a ball player added immensely to my excellent experience at the Mount. Uh, it, it was so long ago, however, that there was no three-point shot, no shot clock, and you couldn't dunk. It was quite a different game. But when I tell that to the youngsters today, I have to explain we were not shooting in the beach baskets back then. Uh, I did have to learn to allocate enough time to practice and play and stay on top of my studies. Coach Phelan made sure that we understood we were student athletes with our student obligations always first and foremost. Uh, He didn't micromanage us. He made his expectations of us known from the start. And then he trusted us to be mature enough to live up to them. He personally spent extra time with me to work on my game and, and boy, did I need it. But he was always there to do whatever each person, each player needed from him. He was a father figure to us and beloved by his players throughout his coaching career and during his retirement. We were always welcome to drop in on him and Dottie at their house. Uh, And you can't mention Jim without praising Dottie, who always looked out for her boys. Yeah, Dottie, Dottie's uh, uh, fantastic, and I've been fortunate to get to know her over uh, these last few years. And and yeah. what what a different game! I, I you know I didn't even think about it when you just said, but no oh, dunking, yeah. no three point pointers. Wow! <laughs> yep. Yeah, actually, that probably saved me a lot of embarrassment from. <laughs> not, but but it was it is a very different game nowadays. But you know, I I I, I hear you on uh, uh, coaches focus on your your role as uh, uh, and your teammates' roles as student athletes. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rick, in your senior year, you had a very special position. You were one of the captains. Could you speak to how this impacted you and your role on the team? Yeah, sure. Uh, as a captain, you have to set an example for your teammates. You have to bring maximum effort at both practices and at games. And it also taught me that color matters. The guy in the same color uniform, no matter what the color of his skin, was my brother. And he had my back and I had his back and we didn't want to let each other down. So it helps to understand other people and overlook the outside appearance and work with your teammates to make the game the best it can be because you want to be the best you can be. Very powerful messages for all of us to to learn from there, Rick. Don't uh, you know? Overlook the outer uh, uh, um, uh, appearance. Um, right. You know, Rick, you worked as a a, a partner at Miles and Stockbridge uh, from 1979 to 1994, and then as a managing attorney at Johns Hopkins Medicine from 1994 to 2004. 
And now you're currently the senior associate counsel and vice president of risk management for the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. How did you get started with the law firm in 1979? And can you talk about how did you take what you learned at the Mount into the real world? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was an English major at the Mount, so I had tons of reading to do, and I had many papers to write. When I went to law school, unlike most of my classmates, I had actually less to read in law school and less to write in law school than at the Mount. So I was well prepared for the volume of reading and the critical analysis and the thinking needed for law school, and then subsequently my legal career. And the small class size amount uh, helped with interviewing for a job coming out of law school uh, because there was always a lot of give and take with the faculty at the Mount um, in any class, again, again because of the, the student-teacher ratio. So I was very comfortable going to job interviews and pitching myself to law partners because I'd been doing it for the years at the Mount, back and forthing with uh, the authority figures, the teacher, the faculty. Yeah, that's that that is a you know, I, I hadn't thought of that positive effect of small class sizes, but you really you can't hide and you have to always be um, uh, inter, um, exchanging with the faculty and other students in the in a small classroom. So that's a great takeaway from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yep. you can't hide. You can't sit back in a class of 300 and hide. So, nope. yeah, understand. So, uh, yep. Rick. Uh, what part of the uh, medical and healthcare industry inspired you to make the transition from Miles and Stockbridge? Well, I did a little medical malpractice defense work at the law firm, but mostly I did product liability defense work for Black and Decker. Uh, these two are very similar from a legal perspective in that the injured person has to have expert testimony from a doctor in a med mal case or from an engineer in a products case to prove that the care or the product was substandard and caused an injury. So the legal transition from the law firm to Hopkins was pretty straightforward. And frankly, being an in-house lawyer is so much more preferable than being in, in private practice. You don't have to worry about timesheets. Uh, in the private practice, you're either billing something or you're schmoozing to try to do client development. And an in-house lawyer, you have all your clients ready-made and they come to you uh, and you reach out to them all the time. So it's a much easier, in my opinion, lifestyle uh, to go in-house. And I've loved it. That's uh, that, that, that's that's uh, wonderful. Now, it, has there been a challenge or a learning adjustment you had to make going from Miles and Stockbridge to uh, the healthcare industry? Oh, yeah. Uh, my biggest challenge was gaining the trust of the doctors and the nurses uh, who are steeped in medicine, and they see the lawyer, and of course, everybody's uh, not so happy with lawyers most of the time anyway. So I, I spent a lot of time uh, at Hopkins, especially initially. I would go into the ORs and watch them perform operations. I would spend a day in the emergency room shadowing the emergency room physician so I could understand or at least try to understand the pressures that they work under. Uh, and I think I ultimately did win their confidence because I didn't faint in the OR or in the ER, uh, despite their attempts to, to gross me out, uh, I was able to stay upright. So I think that did instill some confidence in them uh, and it helped me along the way to really get to know what they do and how they do it. 
But that's a that's a great lesson learned for all of us when you go into a new organization uh, is to take time to to see what the people on the service end on the quote front lines of the organization are doing and learning from them. Yep. So yep. That, that's great. Um, let's uh, let's take a break. I want to thank you, Rick, uh, um, so far. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The team behind our team is our dedicated Mount fans. Please visit mountathletics.com to check the schedules of your favorite teams and to learn more about our great student athletes. Go Mount! Welcome back, everyone. Rick, can you help? Uh, can you please uh, explain to us what kind of problems you face in the healthcare industry that you're passionately working on? Uh, sure. Um, at both Hopkins and at UPMC, we have a 24-7 legal hotline for our clinicians and our staff to call us in real time to deal with uh, issues that they're confronted with. Uh, my emphasis to our providers is to make sure they focus on patient care, and I'll take care of any legal ramifications that may ensue from whatever it is that they're uh, involved in. Of course, the pandemic has, has put so much pressure on our people. We've even had our nurse risk managers go back to doing clinical work to try to help their colleagues and relieve some of that pressure. Uh, in the spring of 2020, uh, when we first got locked down, fearing the worst, we drew up a plan to ration care as equitably as we thought we could. But fortunately, uh, we never had to implement that. Uh, and the biggest healthcare problem I think nowadays is just re- re- uh, retaining, excuse me, retaining sufficient staffing levels and keeping everybody fresh. Many facilities, ours included, have sufficient beds for patients, but it's tough to get the, enough staff to maintain those beds and take care of everybody that needs it. So you're seeing nowadays offers of bonuses and other perks uh, as people compete for mostly nursing staff. But it's a problem facing everyone in the healthcare industry, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. That's uh, uh, yeah, I've I've heard of the staffing issues, and that's that's incredible, uh, and the work you have to do to, to to try and maintain staff. But you know, going back to what you said about coming up with plans about how to ration care, that those must have been some really difficult uh, discussions with a lot of ethical implications. So. <laughs> Very much so. We had a team of, of clinicians and ethicists and, of course, lawyers. You can't do anything without lawyers nowadays. Uh, but we were even talking about having to take people off the ventilator whom we didn't think would survive so we could put somebody on that same ventilator that we thought had a better chance of surviving. But again, fortunately, we never had to make that, that very difficult choice. And that, that is uh, quite fortunate. Um, let's yes. shift gears a, a little bit, Rick. Um, UPMC is a huge organization that spans over 40 hospitals, 87,000 employees, and 5,500 beds. Is it difficult to keep an open line of communication between hospitals? And how important is that communication when ensuring the human aspect of medicine? Well, I want to harken back to a comment you just made a few minutes ago, Tim, and that was when you started a new workplace is gaining the confidence of the people there. When I first got to UPMC, and as you mentioned, it's a behemoth, uh, I made sure that I rode the circuit. I went out to each of our hospitals, met with the administrative executive groups there, met with the physician and nursing leadership there to know that I wasn't just some guy sitting in Pittsburgh. 
but that I was going to be there for them physically if need be. I'd get in the car and drive wherever it may be, uh, or certainly by phone or email or, or nowadays Zoom or Teams meeting, that uh, I was there for them, and whenever they wanted it or needed it, I would do whatever they needed. Um, but in my risk management talks to our providers and our executives, uh, I always stress that communication is the most important aspect of care. Communication with the patients and families uh, is first and foremost, of course, but also communication with each other, our, our doctors and nurses. You, you want to make sure that the families and the patients know what we're doing, what we're thinking, and why it is we're doing or recommending whatever it may be. And then we have to plug in the specialists to help uh, and make sure that everyone is on the same page. And one of the difficult pieces of modern medicine is because of the specialization and subspecialization, you got to make sure that care is coordinated uh, and that nothing falls between the cracks of all these different people rendering all this different care to, to the patients. Yeah, that communication is so critical and, as the way you described it. And, and, you know, an issue in healthcare we've seen is compassion fatigue. Um, how do you manage compa- compassion fatigue in the work that your healthcare providers and other coworkers experience on a day-to-day basis, particularly in this pandemic? Yeah, the, the pandemic has just ratcheted up everything. Um, we're emphasizing work-life balance as best we can and making sure that our staff takes time off so that they can de-stress and try to relieve some of that uh, anxiety. And when they're unable to because of the press of patient care, then we're preserving their time off for future use. Uh, People become healthcare providers because they want to use their experience and their expertise to treat patients when those patients are at their most vulnerable. And that is truly God's work, God acting through the providers to take care of the sick uh, and the people that need their experience and expertise uh, in the moment. And with respect to patients, we had to, we've had to restrict visitors because of the infection, the COVID infection. And that adds to the level of stress for the poor patients who are already uh, stressed because of the being in the, in the hospital and everything else going on. Uh, we've tried to uh, let them have either one caregiver. Recently, we've opened it up to two, uh, but also made use of technology so that the patients can zoom from their uh, hospital beds to their family, and the families can keep on top of what's going on and let the families talk with our providers as well. Yeah, that's uh, um, so critical. And, and um, let's take a final break, and we'll be back to wrap up this edition of Live Significantly. many options when it comes to giving. So why not choose your mountain home? From enhancing academic offerings to athletic programming, your support ensures that our students continue to lead lives of significance. To make your gift, visit msmary.edu today. Welcome back, everyone. Rick, you've done countless things to ensure that your patients and the people you work with are insured and protected. What motivates you to continue to lead a life of significance and help others? Well, I hope that I'm helping do God's work as well by doing what I can to support our people who are actually hands-on with the patients. And I have to remind myself that my um, legal degree is attorney and counselor at law. 
So I want to make sure that our clinicians, uh, and they're at their most vulnerable when something happens that would drop them into the legal morass, that I'm there to help take care of them and try to relieve them of their anxiety and let them dump that on me so that they can still focus uh, on their patients. So again, everything comes back to supporting the care team so they can be compassionate and provide care to the patients and not worry about lawyers and laws and legal systems, et cetera. You are definitely doing God's work, Rick, in supporting the uh, care providers and their teams. Um, Rick, I, I wanted to ask, what has been the biggest thing you've learned from working in the in a private practice law firm to jump into Johns Hopkins, then to UPMC? And how were you able to take what you've learned in each role and apply it to the next? Well, the biggest thing that I learned early on was to try to demystify the legal system and the law. And when you're speaking to a, a client, whether it's a private practice client or a doctor or a nurse in my in-house work at, at Hopkins and UPMC, is just speak plain English to them. The same way that I'd want to be spoken to by a doctor is not medical ease, but tell me in plain English what you're thinking, doc. I do the same thing with our people. Is Hey, look, here's what this is all about. Explain it as best I can, as, as simply as I can, and give them options and advice and try to help them select whatever is best for them in the moment. It may be going to trial and unfortunately sitting in a courthouse for a week or two weeks. It may be trying to resolve something before there's even any lawsuit or litigation. Uh, and the best example of that is uh, Josie's story, a book by Sorrell King. Uh, she was the mother of a two-year-old child who died at the Children's Center at Johns Hopkins. And uh, when that happened, we went right to... Mr. and Mrs. King, we apologized. We told them what happened, why it was our fault, and more importantly, what we were going to do about it. And with their help, we set up a, a patient safety um, program in the Children's Center at Hopkins. And it turned something very negative into something positive for other families uh, and friends. So those kind of victories really inspire you, and you want to keep achieving that year after year uh, in doing uh, all of these things. That's that's so wonderful, Rick. To you know, you 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 you, um, you got goodness out of a tragedy. You made goodness out of a tragedy, a goodness that would go forward. So, yeah. thank and, you and that's a tri- that. that's attributable to the Kings, uh, Mr. and Mrs. King. Uh, they could have gone down a very different path, but they're the ones that said, "Let's work together and try to make something happen for other people." So you're not talking, Rick, to other families and explaining these things. Yeah. Okay, for our last question, Rick, I'd like to ask our guests if they have any additional words of wisdom that they'd like to share with our listeners. Uh, I I do, and and I'm going to be preachy if I may, but get vaccinated. And and get vaccinated for yourself and for your loved ones. People that are hesitant to be vaccinated say, oh, less than 1% of infected people die from COVID. But the problem is you can't know and you don't know what will happen to you if you do get infected. And if you become one of those who die from COVID, then those percentages go out the window. The percentage for you, the victim there, is 100%. So protect yourself and protect society by getting vaccinated. It's safe and effective. Uh, I, I just can't stress enough. Overcome that hesitancy and get it done. 
Um, whether there's a mandate or not, just make sure you do it. And lastly, uh, be kind, be nice. Uh, and not just if you're in healthcare, but in every aspect of your life, uh, approach it with a smile on your face and try to see the good and do nice things and be kind for other people. Not just because you want them to do that for you, but because it's the right thing to do in every aspect of your life. Amen. Get vaccinated and be kind, Rick. Thank you so much. Yeah, there you go. Uh, That's all the time we have for today. And uh, again, thank you so much, Rick, for taking the time to talk with us today about how you live a life of significance through hard work, dedication, and leadership. Be sure to visit the announced website at msmary.edu slash podcast to learn more about how others are living a life of significance. Thank you and go Mount. Thank you, Tim, for inviting me and go Mount. <laughs>